0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Well, so good to be here. Uh, This feels like it's been a long time coming. Uh, The audition. Yeah, you got your scorecards ready? Yeah. You can use them on the 27th, I guess. Um, have, you ever, have you ever convinced yourself that you're wired a certain way, only for life to prove that you were completely kidding yourself? This, this, happens, this has happened to me as I, as I aged through my late 30s and into my 40s. If you had asked me, I would have told you that one of my finest qualities is that I'm, I'm laid back, I'm, I'm chilled. she'll be right mate, you know, like every other Australian. We're, we're all chilled, we're all laid back and, and in fact one of my finest qualities would be that I'm really cool under pressure didn't say any of this in the interview, Jace, maybe I should have, but, you know, but, but I, I've grown as, as life's knocks have come my way, I realised that uh, I was actually kidding myself. <laughs> and this was proven again recently when I was in Melbourne um, doing some study down there but also spending time with family and I got this text message. There it is. This is a message from the Victorian Department of Health. You're receiving this message because you may have recently arrived into Victoria from Queensland. You must get tested for COVID-19 as soon as possible and isolate until a negative result is returned. I'd avoided the cotton tip going up each nostril for as long as possible. And when I got this text, I was at my dad's farm in country Victoria and my heart sank through the floor. Panic. What am I going to do? We're in the middle of nowhere. I've got limited phone reception. how this text message came through if I had limited limited phone reception? (laughs) We have to find a testing centre that's open on a Saturday afternoon, a Saturday morning. We have to drive to the closest place, it's probably an hour away. Uh, that was the only one that was open, at least we hoped it was. The website said it was open, but we couldn't be sure. This was just after Victoria had, had taken the mask thing away, so what's going on? Uh, had that thing shoved up my nose. I learned I have a deviated septum, by the way. And, and one of the ways you can get that is by snorting too much crack. But I'll just, I'll just leave that with you. And as I get the test, as I finish the test, as I endure that pain and suffering, I was told that the result was going to be 24 to 48 hours away. I looked at my watch and my flight home was literally 24 hours away. Another lesson that I'm not cool under pressure. My favourite place on the planet, my favourite place on the planet is, is this place. There's a photo there. This is my favourite place to go, my favourite place to spend time, this is my dad's farm in country Victoria. For those of you who know your geography down there, it's just out of Dalesford. He doesn't like me saying that because Dalesford has a reputation for something that you can ask me about later and I'll tell you but um, it's, it's in a place called Musk. As soon as I hit the driveway I instantly relax, I'm instantly focused on God and his beautiful creation. What I love about this place, as you can kind of see by the house, is it's a combination of God's natural creation and his, the gift that he gives us to be creative shown in the architecture of this beautiful place. This is where I was when I got that text message. How much do you think I enjoyed this particular place while I was be- between getting that text message and the eventual test result? Not at all. As it turned out I had a bonus day at this beautiful place but I was unable to enjoy it because of this period of waiting, this period of not knowing what was going to happen, this period of having to cancel a flight and not knowing when I could rebook it, this, this in-between time, this waiting time, this liminal space and right now you're very impressed that I said liminal space, you can wow your friends with that. Times like these, when we find ourselves in these in-between times, in these waiting periods, in this liminal space, these things can rob us of our enjoyment of the moment. More than that, they can steal our attention away from God's present activity, what he wants to do in our lives. It can deafen us, moments like this can deafen us to his voice. What I actually had in that moment was a bonus day with my dad. My dad's not a follower of Jesus. We're in this beautiful location. We had an extra day to spend together. But because of this moment of waiting, I wasn't even thinking, if I'm really honest, about what God might be up to. The truth is, if you were to ask me, is that I feel like I've been in a period like this for the last two years. I feel like I've been in this in-between, this, this time of waiting, this liminal space for the last two years. It's not fun. It was two years ago, almost to the day that I finished at Toowoomba Community Baptist Church as senior pastor. And it, it, it it was a hard slog. I've worked a bit in between. I haven't been unemployed that whole time. But I never really felt settled and I never really felt certain. Hopefully that's about to change. I've been in this in between and I reckon you have too. I reckon you've either been in it before or you might be right in the middle of it now. You know the past, you know where you've been before, but you're uncertain about the future. And your desire to get back to normal, your desire to get back to the way things were, is fueled by your uncertainty about tomorrow. The reality is, is it not, that the whole world is in this liminal space right now. This whole world is waiting to see what we're going to become. We're waiting to see what the future is. We're waiting to see what the world will look like, how it will operate in this new world that we're emerging into. Global pandemics have that effect, I guess. I've been thinking a lot in the last 12 months about that first 12 months after that first Easter where everything was new. The the Christian calendar is so well established and even though we might not feel like we're liturgical as Baptists, we do still hold Easter and Christmas pretty solidly in our calendar, right? We have that liturgical rhythm of Easter and Christmas and we've just come out of Easter, but did you ever think about that very first Easter and what the followers of Jesus in that first Easter weekend where they saw Jesus crucified and they saw him come back from the dead? Did you ever think what it, what it was like for them? I mean, talk about liminal space. Talk about the in-between. Talk about waiting. I mean, did you ever really think about Easter Saturday? We celebrate Good Friday and we celebrate Easter Sunday, but there's this day in between. And that first Saturday, that the disciples would have been a complete mess. They didn't know Sunday was coming. Every Easter since then has been different because we know Sunday's coming. But for those first disciples, they had no. Idea. They would have been thinking, "What the heck just happened? What have we given the last three years of our lives to? This guy promised so much, and now he's dead and gone." I wonder if we start bringing Easter Saturday. You know, Jesus gave that day to his followers. He didn't die and rise from the dead an hour later. He gave them Saturday. He gave them this day to doubt. He gave them this day to be sad, to despair, to ask questions, to experience that fear of what's next. He gave them this day. He gave space for these emotions to surface. I love that he did that. And I love that he still gives us space for those emotions. And these emotions come to the fore in that time of that in-between but what about that Saturday right but what about after the resurrection what about that 40 days because if you think about the the Christian calendar now we're we're 14 days after Easter and we're in this in-between so these disciples have seen Jesus rise from the dead which would have been pretty incredible but now there's this period where he said wait he said he said it wait and so they're waiting And that's where we kind of find ourselves in the Christian calendar right now. In fact, it's probably where Redlands Campus finds itself right now, in this in-between, in-between Jason and what's next? Hopefully Sam. (laughs) That's where these disciples would have been. It's where we find ourselves so often. What I want to talk through this morning is what were they holding on to? These disciples who experienced that first 12 months of the Christian calendar in that period in between Easter and Pentecost, in between the resurrection of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit, what could they hold on to to give themselves hope for the future? What, could they, what were the solid things that they could hold on to to assure them that there's a brighter future coming? And I offer these things, I suggest these things to us this morning, that these are things that we can still hold on to today when we find ourselves in that in-between, when we find ourselves in that period of waiting, when we find ourselves in that liminal space. There's three things. They're all going to be up on the screen now. This is what the disciples could hold on to. They knew the biggest story. They had seen the resurrection. They were expecting the sure promise. I've done a bit of vocabulary gymnastics to make them all start with S. But that's the thing with a, with a sermon is when you, when you can get the, the three letters all working for you, you know that, you know that the Spirit's in it, it's anointed. <laughs> three moments in the in-between that we can see. The first thing is that they knew the biggest story. They knew the biggest story. There's an there's a, there's a event, there's some history recorded in Scripture that some of you, many of you will be familiar with and it's this the moment where there's two disciples on, their, on the road to Emmaus and Jesus rocks up, but they don't know it's Jesus. They don't know it's him. They, they, these disciples were among those disciples who had seen the death of Jesus, but they're in this moment of going, okay, what's going on now? What's going on now? And Luke, Luke uh, the last chapter of Luke records this for us, and it records the conversation between these disciples and Jesus as the, as the penny slowly drops for them, that they're actually talking with the risen Jesus. And Jesus says this to them, and this is never a good start if you're having a conversation with Jesus. These are his first words, "O foolish ones. I mean, whoever wants to hear that from Jesus? O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And then he says this, it's, the scripture records this for us, this verse is up on the screen. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What does Jesus do? He tells them the bigger story. He shows them everything that Jesus went through. They don't know it's Jesus yet. Everything that Jesus went through was set up by the story that's come before it. Moses and all the prophets, all of scripture. And he starts to show them how this was necessary. This was where the story was trending. This is what was meant to happen. Why were they foolish? Well, what they were doing is they were narrowing in on their small experience of the story. They were seeing their particular context and their particular circumstance and focusing in on that and not knowing anything about why anything was going on. What they could see and what they could understand, they were forgetting the big story of God. And Jesus says to them, you foolish ones. I think this is a big effect of sin in our lives, actually. I think what sin does in our lives is it makes my story primary. It makes me think about and gravitate and orbit around the story of Sam Jackson. And then my relationship with God is based on how he can make my story better. And how he can fulfill all my dreams and how he can get me the job at Gateway Redlands. That's the effect of sin. My story is primary and God's story should help me with my story. We take the way of the world and we just put God into it and say, well, I'm first. God, how can you help me to make my life better? And for me, this worked out in, in saying, God, I'm in this in-between and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to minister again. Just show me. What's, what's my next gig? What's the next chapter of my story? Reveal it to me, Lord. No, That's not what we should be asking. That's not in danger of being called by Jesus, foolish ones. We should be saying, God, help me to see your big story unfolding in the earth, on the earth. And where do I fit in that? What's my part to play in this moment where I feel frustrated, I feel in between, I feel stuck, but how do I contribute with everything I have, all the resources at my disposal, how do I contribute to your story unfolding in this world that is in lockdown right now? the first disciples began to understand this. God's big story leading up to the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the significance of that death and resurrection and what their place was in his next chapter for the world. In this in-between, this in, in this time of waiting, we can make ourselves miserable, reminiscing about the past and how good we had it, how great things were lamenting our present circumstances, being so frustrated that things aren't working out, worrying about what's next. We might even pray about it. We might even throw some Christian labels on it and ask our friends to pray with us. But really our motivation is getting my story sorted out and never even thinking of asking the question, God, here I am. Where do I fit in your story right now? We have this tendency to place... Jesus in our story rather than to place ourselves in his. Jesus took these disciples on the road to Emmaus through that big story and then the penny drops for them and listen what happens later on. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. He's done that before, right? And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Jesus does some weird stuff. He doesn't even eat. Then they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? God's big story. And our hearts were burning. When was the last time you felt your heart burn when you heard the story of God? In the seasons of waiting, placing ourselves in God's biggest story will position us to find our place in his big story in that context. So the second thing then, that, that, well the first thing, they knew the biggest story. The second thing is that they had seen the resurrection. They had seen the resurrection. Of all the disciples that we know about from Scripture, I reckon the bloke who struggled the most on Saturday was Thomas. You know, we just know, we get a little insight into Thomas's life and if, if, you, if you know the Scriptures, if you've been reading them for a while, you know exactly where we're going with this. But Thomas was a guy who I reckon on Saturday, he was the one sulking in the corner, Stressed out of his mind, so disappointed, so angry, so bitter that he had sacrificed three years of his life to Jesus, who had completely let him down. He was the one most discouraged, the most disappointed, and the most angry. Then we have this this word that Thomas hears that Jesus has risen from the dead, and Thomas is the one who says, Unless I can put my. I don't know, this is pretty grotesque. I don't don't understand. Thomas is. A bit weird, but unless I put my fingers into the wound on his side and into his hands, I will not believe it. Even though my, my best friends from the last three years are telling me that he's risen from the dead, I will not believe it. You're all mad. I'm, I'm, I want to get back to normal. I want to get back to the way things were in the past. I've given up too much. I can probably salvage something of what I used to have. I'm not interested in the future. I don't believe he's alive. And then the moment comes. Eight days after Thomas says this, the disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. They convinced him to come and be a part of what was happening. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas's appropriate response was, My Lord and my God. I said it. There's an exclamation, my Lord and my God. Why did he say this? Because he had seen the resurrected Jesus and everything changed. Everything changed. Everything changed. And I reckon from that point forward through to waiting for the Spirit to come at Pentecost, Thomas went from the most angry, disgruntled disciple to the most excited about what was going to happen next. I was watching on Facebook, on my Facebook feed, a video of Andrew Serkin preaching at the city campus came up. Someone had recorded a, a few minutes and there was a Tim Keller quote and I'm a Tim Keller junkie. You know, for me, it's father, father son, spirit, Keller. Okay, that, that's where he sits for me. That was a joke. I don't, really, I don't really hold him that highly. But anyway, he says this about the resurrection and Thomas knew this in this moment. If Jesus rose from the dead, you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything, he said. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. It changes everything. And this was Thomas's experience. When we find ourselves in this in-between, in this waiting liminal space, it can mess with the strength of our faith. And at my worst, in the moments of in-between, I really find myself doubting God's presence and power. But when I think about the resurrection, and the proof for the resurrection is overwhelming, when I think about the resurrection, it assures me, it reminds me, it infaiths me, if that's a word, I just made it up, of the power and the presence of Jesus. The power of Jesus in overcoming death, and the presence of Jesus in still being alive. You know, our, our faith as Christians despite what many people think and despite what some of you might think actually and what I tend to think sometimes, our faith, Christianity is not based primarily on a set of beliefs or a set of doctrines or a set of do's and don'ts. Our faith is based on an event in history, the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is, that is the pillar, the biggest pillar of our faith is this man who claimed to be God, dying on a cross and then rising from the dead. It's based on an event in history. That's, that's what's primary. And what this resurrection then means for us as, as humans. We have this opportunity to live, as to do humanity in the way that we were designed to do it because Jesus stood against all that was evil, all that was dark, and overcame all of that, overcame death, rose again from the dead, making it possible for us to live as we were meant to live and for the kingdom of God to come on earth which we're taught to pray, more of that Jesus, more of your kingdom to come. If the resurrection doesn't happen, that prayer is impossible. I love Jesus' response to Thomas, because I reckon he was thinking of us, he was thinking of you and me in this very moment, when he responds to Thomas, when he says, my Lord and my God, this is how Jesus responds to that. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed I have not seen the resurrected Jesus. Some, I'm not saying that some of you haven't, but I have not seen him. I have not put my hand into his side, not put my hand, my finger into his hands. I've not done any of that. And yet I believe. Jesus calls me blessed. He calls you blessed if we believe. In the seasons of waiting, the reality of the resurrection assures us of God's power and presence. And then finally, they're expecting the sure promise They're expecting the sure promise. Jesus had talked a whole lot with his friends about this thing that was going to happen where he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he reminds them again that he's coming, the Spirit's coming when he had risen and he spends some time again with his disciples before he ascends up into heaven. And it's recorded in Acts chapter 1. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This shows that even though they'd started to get it, they hadn't quite got the big story of God because they thought Israel was still going to be restored to power. Jesus has to remind them again, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but here it is. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth, right then where that was said, the end of the earth, guess where that was? Australia. So it happened. It's happening. I love that. Jesus is basically saying, wait. There's going to be an in-between. There's going to be a liminal space. It ended up being 40 days but it was promised by Jesus. And when something's promised by Jesus, it happens. And this power came and it was an incredible moment. You can read about it in Acts. This power was for witnessing, but it was for many other things as well that Jesus had said. The other things that the Holy Spirit does, not just power to witness, but the one who works in the people who you're witnessing to. The one who, the Holy Spirit, who gives us guidance and comfort, produces fruit in us, gives us power, gives us the ability to teach The Spirit is the one who makes us cry, Father of God. Which is revolutionary, not just Father, but Dad or Daddy. By the Spirit, we cry that out. You know, when I I had that text from the Victorian government, I was so thankful that my dad was with me, because he was more familiar with the geography. He knew where the testing sites might be. We ended up driving to Ballarat, city about 50 minutes away. He knew Ballarat quite well. We had the GPS for when he didn't know exactly where to go, but all of that brought some level of comfort. But what my dad didn't know, what he was powerless to know was how the future would pan out. He didn't know what flight I was going to get on. He didn't know how the test was going to go, even though it we was certain it was going to be neg- it was negative, by the way. Um, even, even, he wasn't certain of that, he had no concept of the future. He, although he brought me some level of comfort, he didn't have anything like the power of the Holy Spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. You look at Acts 4 after Acts 2 when the Spirit initially comes and there's this refilling of the Spirit. And So we need need to continually be asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us everything we need for mission and ministry in this city. In seasons of waiting, in seasons of in-between, the Holy Spirit equips us with everything we need, with everything we need to play our part in the story of God in our context. So how could these first believers stay so focused and sure through that first season of in-between? Well, they knew the bigger story. They'd seen the resurrection and are expecting a sure promise, a promise that we don't need to expect anymore, but it is ours as we accept Jesus and follow him. The reality is right now, as I said before, that the whole world is in this in-between. It's in this liminal spaces, waiting to see how the world will settle. And we're all caught up in that in some way. The deeper reality than that, that we hold as God's people, is that we know that God's biggest story is unfolding. We know that a global pandemic does not derail God's story from happening. We know that the world is trending towards God's ultimate climax. We know that Jesus has still risen from the dead. It's not like he went back into the grave when the global pandemic happened. His death is still the only means through which we can know God personally, having removed the barrier of sin. His resurrection proving his his purposes and his power in bringing us salvation and making it possible for us to live as true humans. And the Holy Spirit is still the only source of true wisdom, of true life and love, working through the church to bring the story of God to its final chapters. So my question for you this morning is, where do you find yourself today? Are you in this sort of in-between? Do you find yourself longing for what was and that longing is intensified by your uncertainty about what the future holds? And because of this, are you finding that your story is jamming out God's story? Are you finding that your concern is more for what you're going to get out of life rather than where God wants you to fit into his story? The challenge to you this morning is simply to submit and say, God, your story trumps my story. Where do I find this? Where do I find myself in that? Maybe for you this morning, the truth is this has been your whole life. You've never even considered God's big story. But today's the day where you go, I want to find myself. I want to place my story in God's bigger story. Are you finding yourself doubting God's power and presence? That he, that he sees you? That, that he loves you? That he's thinking about you all the time? Are you, are you finding yourself doubting that? Well, you simply need to remember that Easter weekend, that that actually happened. Did that really happened That Jesus, God in the flesh, that the reality of that weekend where Jesus died on a cross and rose again from the dead, that has happened in history and cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. And that, is, that should assure you and me of God's power and presence and His love and care and kindness to us. It's, it's right there. It's right there in front of us and we can be assured of it because that happened. And as Keller said, I read before, if Jesus rose from the dead, you have to accept all He said. If you didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Do you feel like in this time of in-between, in this time of, of waiting, this liminal space, that you're lacking power for life, for the life that God wants you to live? Are you finding yourself lacking wisdom, lacking love for others, lacking concern for others? Well, the challenge for you this morning is simply to ask the Spirit to fill you again, like they did in Acts 4. Enable us to proclaim your word with great boldness. And the Spirit came and the wall shook and it was a beautiful moment. Maybe this morning, that's simply your prayer, Spirit, fill me again, because I'm lacking. I'm lacking in all these things. The world needs the church to be who she was meant to be right now. The world needs it. The world won't tell you that it needs it, but it does. The world needs the church to be who she was meant to be. The church, God's people, should be living proof that the gospel is true it should be living proof that God's biggest story is true and unfolding for all of humanity that good news is not just good news for God's people but it's good news for the world the church should be proof that the resurrection really happened because of the power and the presence of God in the lives of his people it should be proof that Jesus is alive and reigning and that the Holy Spirit does work in the world because it fills he fills his people And the church should be proof and evidence that God is moving the world toward its climactic end. And Gateway Redlands, this is your story. This is who we should be. There's gonna be uh, some lovely people who I met this morning and prayed with who would love to pray for you if you find yourself in one of these three areas. And maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in your life, maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but you've never actually thought, about God's biggest story. You've never actually fully come to believe in the resurrection of Jesus or maybe you've never been filled with the Spirit and today is your day. Or maybe, like me, finding yourself in this in-between, in this liminal space, in this period of waiting, you you need need to be like recharged this morning. You need to be refocused and remember where your place is in God's big story To, to again be wowed by the resurrection and to be filled again with the Spirit. Or maybe there's something completely outside of anything I've said that you would like prayer for this morning, as Jason talked about earlier, and you'd like to come and be prayed. for. We just have a moment uh, for, those, for those prayers to come down the front. And if, if that's you this morning, you can, you can come on out and uh, let me pray. Let's all bow our heads, close our eyes, and let me pray just as we get ready to do that. Father, so grateful that we get to call you father that all the ways all of the ways that an eternal holy creating god could have a relationship with his creation you invite us to call you father so special father we thank you that your story is unfolding for the world that the, the pandemic didn't come as any surprise to you And for those, God, who have been stressing and worried and frustrated by their story and the lack of progress in their story or the the seeming backward progression of their story, I pray that right now you would would assure them that they have a role, a part to play in your big story and that you would move them to submission in that gracious way that you do it right now. And if there are those people, you'd move them from their seat to come and be prayed for right now. thank you, Jesus, for the reality of the resurrection that assures us of your power and promise. Something that actually with the, with the ebb and flow of life and particularly in the middle of an in-between or, or the effects of the pandemic, we can forget so easily <laughs> that you died and you rose again from the dead. It's the foundation of our faith. We could so easily forget that and let the cares of life rob us of the, our joy in that. For those people who find themselves in that place this morning, move them now. Move them now. Holy Spirit, we thank you that part of this deal, part of our faith, one of the beautiful things about it is that that unconditional. Submission to Jesus means that we are filled with this incredible power. Abilities that we didn't have before to, to love and serve others and to see them in a light that we never saw them before happens when we are filled with the Spirit. And again, so much of the cares of life can jam you out. For those this morning who feel like the Holy Spirit, you Holy Spirit are lacking presence in their life and I pray you'd move them simply to ask you Holy Spirit fill me, that might not be an Acts 4 experience, it might be but it could just be a a simple and quite beautiful overwhelming of the love of God as the Spirit fills them so move them this morning I pray God if there are others who are in need of some kind of healing, physical healing or emotional healing or prayer for what's ahead or what they're in the middle of, God, then we thank you that we have this opportunity to pray for one another. Your Word tells us, pray for one another, confess our sins to one another. Thank you for this beautiful moment that we have to minister to one another. We hope you've been blessed by this message.